You're listening to Feminist Killjoys PhD, an hour or a half of feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys PhD, an hour of feminism, politics, and pop culture, as discussed by two professional killjoys. Do you want to do that over because I wrote it wrong? Oh, that's why. It's my fault. I completely wrote it wrong. It felt new. I was like, oh. (laughs) All right. I've been doing this thing for three years and I still. (laughs) All right. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, and our feminism, pop culture, and politics as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be saying goodbye. Sad, bittersweet, all the feelings, so many feelings. We'll talk about what we loved about the show, what was tough, what we learned, what we would do differently, and how much we are going to miss all of you in our amazing community of listeners. And also, one final RWL. But first, hey Mel, how are you? I'm doing really great. Wonderful. Daniel has joined us for the last episode. He just pushed the door open. Perfect. He knows how to open doors. So (laughs) I saw some stand-up comedy last night in my neighborhood, and it reignited an interest of mine to do stand-up comedy so fun i have no training in it but i wrote a joke this morning can i tell you the premise of it please like in a i can't i don't really know how to pitch it as like a stand-up thing but okay you know how toddlers like get really upset over nothing and they fall apart and cry Mm -hmm. like if you for no reason like because the graham cracker wasn't in four pieces it was just in two right and it feels really similar to when i have pms and like i get really angry (laughs) over nothing so the joke is like basically that toddlers just have PMS. Okay. <laughs> All That's right. The joke, but you have to but you'd have to say it like in a stand-up comic scenario but i was making those connections so that was one and then i was going to make fun of my adhd all the time like uh-huh. that would just be my opener right like, right, hey, right everybody i have adhd so this is going to go really well <laughs> um i might ask you what joke i'm on if i forget yeah uh, so stuff like that i don't know we'll see i lo- I, lo- but- I i really hope that you explore that because i would be in the front row hooting and hollering oh there's another one for our listeners i think they would appreciate it i'm i'm working on one about how like I got too lazy to be a lesbian, <laughs> and I just ended up dating, like, really femmy guys, uh-huh. and so it's basically the same, because yeah. I end up liking lesbian sex stuff anyways. So stuff like, <laughs> you know, things like that. Yeah. I think it'll be good, because there's just too many dudes, and I think I could bring, especially when I talk about race, too, as a white person, like, because yeah. I can be, I can make fun of myself. and Right. When I was at the stand-up, this is the thing, uh, the reason why I thought of race is back to my stand-up comedy that I was at last night. It was in North Minneapolis, which is mostly black people. And there was a couple white people in the audience, including me and Dakota. And so all the comics were like really surprised. Um, And so almost all of them made a comment about the white white people in the room. That's great. (laughs) And then the, and then the gentrify, you know, were the gentrifiers. Right. And then this one guy was making, was saying like how expensive his drink was. And Dakota whispered over to me. He's like, those are the gentrifying costs. (sighs) And then the comic hurt. He's like, what are you all talking about? I'm like, that's, and then I just repeated. I was like, sorry, that's the, that's the gentrifying cost of your drink. We're here. (laughs) So it'll be stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be stuff like that. Yeah. That's great. I mean, I think that's, I think you're well suited to like push those boundaries that comedy does about those kinds of issues. Yeah, and I'm really deadpan, so nobody right. will know if I'm. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so basically, I'm going to be famous, and you can. I'll hire you to do my media marketing, Perfect. my social media. Perfect. 
It's going to be great. So that's what I'm going to do with my life. Uh, yeah. How are you doing? Uh, I'm okay. Um, kind of up and down emotions the last couple weeks, but mostly okay. Let's see. Life has just been pretty normal working um, back to the – there was a while that the prison yoga schedule was like a little – like there would be giant gaps and then I'd be there. But now I'm pretty consistent every other week. So – Lots of like both wonderful and also enraging experiences when I'm there. The weather is still nice and you know less less awful, so that's um, that's nice. And also on Friday, I was a guest on another podcast, another Minnesota Minneapolis based podcast. So I want to give a shout out to In the Roots, which hasn't aired yet, but the host is a barista at a coffee shop that I frequent that I frequently work at and he recognized me from our show. So that felt fun and celebrity like, um, and they invited me on to talk about prison stuff and some other things. And so it's him, it's Greg and Henry. So shout out Greg and Henry. And it was really great. So Greg had heard our show before, but Henry hadn't. So Greg was like, you know, do your homework before Rachel's on the show. So like, listen, listen to the, to FKJ. And it was really great because they're both like lefty people, but, Henry, like they, we were talking about FKJ on the show, and they were talking about episodes they liked. And I have to give a shout out to Henry because Henry's favorite is our episode on Drake. So Henry was like, I was like, he's like, I was scrolling, and you know, they were like supposed to like figure out like you know my my politics, like my sense of things, whatever. And then Henry was like, and I just saw we love Drake, and I was like, I want to listen to that one. And so. So Henry, thank you. We appreciate. Oh my gosh! And even though I mean, and as I said, like Drake in the news has been a little more. Things have been more complicated with Drake in the news in the past year, so we'd probably say some different things on that show. But one of our early episodes was definitely all caps. We love Drake, and Henry appreciated I, it. I think we were pretty critical of Drake. I we haven't were, listened to that we one were. again. Yeah, but. More so, I think I loved him more when we recorded that than I do today. Yeah, yeah, I can say that for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, but he's still so hot. He is like a dreamy, a dreamy person. I know, I know. So anyway, that was fun. And now that FKJ is going away, y'all can check out In the Roots when they when they finally air. Yes, so that was cool. Yes, excellent. Yeah. Congratulations on that new podcast. Mm-hmm. We're just going to jump right in to sort of our farewell, which is just going to be sort of a, a review, a look back on our our time as podcasters, which is almost exactly three years. We started in March mm-hmm. of 2016, a very solid three years. And we want to talk about, um, we, we mentioned, you know, sort of why we're saying goodbye, but we can sort of elaborate on that in, in what was not working about us, us sort of maintaining this as, as a sustainable um, sort of side thing. But we also obviously want to talk about all of the amazing things that came from it. So should we get the bad stuff out of the way first? Can I say one thing before we dive in? Yeah. I just want to say that I'm really grateful that we get to have this conversation on air because I think a lot of podcasts that are not done professionally through WNYC or any or Earwolf or whatever, those big companies, usually things just kind of fall apart with podcasts mm-hmm. and then they just stop getting updated. So it's I really like that we were able to decide to end this before things got too hairy or too yeah. out of control. Um, hopefully this is good information for other people who are podcasting, thinking of podcasting, or also just been podcasting for a long time. I think it's really important to talk about the industry from all angles. And I think in the media industry specifically, 
there is not a lot of open conversation about what it's quote unquote really like mm-hmm. to be doing these things. It's a lot of pretty things uh, that we show on social media and when we're recording, but there's a lot of stuff that happens you know, behind the scenes that you don't see that are both positive and negative, um, right. but that just aren't talked about. Totally. So, yeah. And we just want to be honest with y'all because you are always so honest with us. Yeah. Letting us know what's going on in your life. So we wanted to share that as well with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, speaking of the industry, I mean, Mel, do you want to sort of expand on like the podcast industry and what that even means and maybe how that's changed? Diesel just came in. Um, I know. I heard him. Yeah, he's here too you know, how it's changed since we started recording, because I think so there were not many podcasts when mm-hmm. we started recording, which I also feel like I feel like the boom happened like a little bit later in the year that we started, like late into 2016, early 2017. Yeah, I mean, the original concept of podcasting is still an amazing one, which is that anybody with a microphone can record essentially a radio show and put their voice on the internet and get it shared through iTunes. And then anybody can listen to your stuff across the globe. Like that itself is an amazing technology because we talk about gatekeepers in media classes a lot, like who are the gatekeepers that keep us from getting information, opinions. And so with podcasting, there really is no gatekeepers because anybody can put out their product. Right. But when I started to get really salty about it was when giant radio companies like NPR um, and then other, you know, podcasting companies uh, like Earwolf started to pop up where they had tons of money and they could record things professionally and pay people like for a full time gig to do this work. Um, And so then you had people you had you basically had people that were making zines competing with people that were making Oprah magazine, if that helps. That's a great analogy. That's a super great analogy. Yeah. And so it's it 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 didn't become disheartening. It just kind of felt unfair that, you know, the WNYC podcasts, which are wonderful and I listen to them, were in the same boat as everybody else that was doing DIY podcasting. And so it's really hard to build your audience when you're competing with giant media companies that have tons of advertising revenue. They advertise for each other on their shows. And so we never came up in the podcasting industry. We never came up with a system that, you know, you could see the independent podcasts or you could see the commercial, commercial, commercially developed podcasts. You know, yeah. we didn't have those different silos and maybe we don't need to have them but uh it all just become became mixed up together and it just it didn't feel like a very fair system and so that's the system that we're operating under yeah and i know rachel and i throughout our time we were just hoping for a break like we were just waiting you know we would do media stuff like just a while ago uh, a local newspaper, a local college newspaper wanted to interview us. And I told Rachel, I was like, the daily is huge. Like if if the right person interviews us, you know, this could be a break for us. And so we were thinking about that, like we were just waiting to get picked up, like we wanted to be featured in Bitch Magazine or Bus Magazine, like somebody needed to feature us, right? But a lot of the podcasts that would be featured often would be these like from these giant podcast companies that already had a lot of exposure that. Yeah, that was kind of like what it felt like working within the industry. And I don't really know. I don't know, nor do I really care to fight that system. You know, like I don't really know how to live within the system, um, especially because a lot of the work that we do as podcasters is totally unpaid. I think that's all like good information and things that people don't really think about very often. And one thing that Melody and I struggled with that a lot of people struggle with is 
is asking for money, right? And we've talked, we kind of talked about that on air before a couple times, you know, about the way that, we're, you know, especially women and femmes are sort of trained not to ask for for compensation mm-hmm. for our labor. So there's that whole thing. But there's also like the reality that we didn't want to ask our friends who, you know, and our friends and our listeners, our community, who are often low paid graduate students, for example, mm-hmm. like we know a lot of you who listen are graduate students, like that's how, why you find us interesting, because we are, you know, sort of talk about academia in these particular ways. Um, and so it was, it was tough to like want to and we did get more comfortable asking for money and valuing our labor and stuff, but it would have been really fucking nice not to have to beg other low income like punks and feminists mm-hmm. to give us money um, when, you know, it, and instead have like maybe, you know, somebody with more money and structural support and resources sort of maybe, maybe be the source of that. So that was that was also something I always kind of struggled with. It's like we're not making really a sustainable amount of money at all for this to be a side job. Um, and also, like, I feel weird about wanting to ask people for more money because, and this is sort of the second part of this, is that there also is something really beautiful about not having to ask listeners for money, especially in a ca- the case of FKJ, because we want to literally be a source of free education. Like, we genuinely want people to have, to make this more accessible. So, you know, this is a whole debate about, like, community-supported programming. I mean, this is the NPR model, right? But NPR also has donors and, you know, all of these things. So, yeah, this is all just sort of like the political economy of this whole thing. And there's, I think, really valuable debates. And I don't, I'm not saying there's like a right way or a wrong way. I'm just saying that it brought us enough discomfort and to the, and, and also, you know, we never ended up making enough for the amount of hours that we put into it for it to be actually sustainable, given, given our situations. Like, if Melody didn't have teach five fucking classes a semester and if I wasn't doing multiple things to try to piece together an income, maybe this would look different, but it it just it just yeah. wasn't going to be sustainable. As you were talking, I was just thinking about how our job situation probably has a lot to do with it more than maybe we're talking about, because I was just thinking if either of us had a tenure track position we get paid to do research. So we could do podcast, like we could pitch podcasting as part of our research program. Right, right. And then it would be part of like, there's just, you could just get so much more freedom to do research and just work when you're tenure track and you don't have to teach five classes a semester. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like when I bring in podcasting to my classes right now, right, that's just on top of everything else. It's not, it's not like, okay, this is going to fill my research portion you know like i can't pitch a podcasting class at my school like it's just it doesn't work that way in community colleges i think there is a lot it it does have a lot to do with our jobs and i think it it also goes back to the podcasting industry when i listen to podcasts i'm like how the hell do they get on earwolf like the bechdel test it's a great or the bechdel cast is a podcast it's a wonderful podcast but i was like how do they get on Earwolf? They live in LA. They have media connections. Like they're right. they're in that industry. Um, because we could have done that podcast, but I think it's about the networks that we have and using the the tools that we have at our jobs. But for us, it we don't have those tools at our job. Right. I think my only this is not a killjoy moment. This is just like an expanding or like a note about. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about some of my tenure track friends who are. The exploitation of academic labor is starting to impact tenure track folks and and even tenured folks who we've seen, you know, people get let go for political reasons, even if they're tenured. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm just thinking about like the amount of service some of my tenure track friends have to do. 
so I, I am just going to say that not every tenure track person is like super cush, you know, like just like yes, rolling around yeah, with time. Totally. So I just want to, I just totally. want to give a shout out to my friends who I know who are like, you know, grasping or just, you know, gasping for air to get their head above water of all the sort of service expectations they're supposed to do, et cetera. So the point is, is it is in an academic system that functioned, you know, professors ideally would have time to sort of um, be compensated by their institution for valuable public scholarship, which is what I would consider the goal of our podcast in yeah, the beginning. Yeah, We don't get that. And sometimes even tenure track people don't get that is what I'll say. So that was so that was a huge part of it, sort of, yeah, just really the political economy behind behind it. What are some other sort of negatives that that came up? I want to say this gently. I don't know if it's a negative. I will frame it as something that I have learned while podcasting. It's very important to tell the people that are producing the media that you listen to for free that you really appreciate what they're doing. Because I know, Rachel, I think I mentioned this to you when we were having our conversation about ending the podcast that like, had we gotten, you know, 2000 emails or 2000 tweets a month, like, kind of giving us feedback on the show, I might have felt differently. And I'm not trying to say this to shame anybody because I do the same thing, right? I've been listening to podcasts for years, and I never reach out to the people that are making them. But now that I'm on the other side of it, um, those emails that we do get from listeners, like, it has catapulted us to keep going um, when we've individual I'll speak for myself when I've individually like felt kind of low about all the work that we do on the podcast. Those moments have meant a lot to me. Um, and so I have learned that when I from this experience that if I'm listening to like I listened to in the dark season two, which is a APM podcast, but I was listening to it for free. And if I I could only afford to give them a little bit of money, but I also emailed them to thank them for all the work that they did, because I know that it's very important. And that's more important to do with local independent or independent artists. Mm -hmm. So just I don't want to frame it as a negative because it's our community. But I think I maybe I was expecting more like more interaction or more communication, you know, positive or negative, um, more discussion around our podcast. And it's possible because of the early podcasts that I was listening to, they were very fan driven and they like had a phone number where people would call and leave messages. And so that was something that was just different than what I expected. I mean, I, I ultimately agree with that. I know normally brains cling to the sort of negative thing in a situation, mm -hmm. but I actually feel like Given given our listener numbers, mm -hmm. the people who were deeply engaged and shouted yeah. us out and tagged us definitely was a very small percentage. But though that small percentage was incredibly engaged and gave us shout outs. Yeah. And like, so you, you all know who you are, like the people who are super active on the Facebook group page, the people who have tagged us and shit, the people that I have become very close friends with because of their sort of, you know, shout outs or engagement or emails, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I actually am thinking... I mean, yeah, given because that's all part of sort of um, the, the podcast being able to grow and sustain as if more people would have sort of been engaging, then that's how things grow. And that's how um, things become more financially stable, you know, sustainable, etc. Mm -hmm. So obviously, given how many people we that listen to the show, which is not small, um, but just kind of was became stagnant at a certain point. Yeah, I guess that is true. But I maybe this is a good sort of shift into the positive. Like, I'm actually really blown away with some some of our audience members who are were super engaged and shared resources and you know sent incredibly helpful emails and um mm -hmm. and again some of who some of whom I'm incredibly close friends with at this point um because of that so 
that that's maybe a transition to the positive. Is there any other sort of negative negative stuff you want to bring in? Yes, and I'm glad that I I feel the same way that you feel, and I think. Some of that from my end is also that I wasn't wrapped up in the social media world as much as you were, Yeah, which was also like, again, a personal negative that Rachel is so good. You're so good at doing all that social media and it takes a lot of time. And it wasn't something that like I was not doing because I was like, Rachel can do it. It's just like not in my world to do a lot of I'm just not on social media a ton and I think because of that, I probably feel more detached from the listeners than you do because you were the one that was, you would post stuff on Instagram, you would see how many people would like it or send, they would send little comments, right? And mm-hmm. so I wasn't seeing all of that. Yeah. And so I think that's also part of it. I think it's just speaking to like what it's like to do media in 2019. Yeah. Um, and that was a choice I made. And that was definitely part of one or part of our discussions about why we wanted to end the show. In terms of like how much social media marketing is necessary and how much I just wasn't willing to to do. So yeah, I wanted to add that caveat too, that because I wasn't really wanting or willing to be so ingrained in the social media, I lost a lot of that listener interaction. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think if we want to sort of transition that into another one of the things that came up in our conversation where we did decide to end the show is that because I am, for better and worse, um, very immersed in sort of online social justice spheres, the ones that I like, like the most are, you know, people who are sort of have politics I agree with, and like are very explicitly anti-capitalist. And that's not always the case with like feminist online social justice warrior kind of, you know, TM kind of circles. But I also am very familiar with that world also, because I'm because I just am also sort of tangentially, you know, part of those those spaces as well. And because I'm so familiar with the conversations that are happening in those online spaces, many of which I think are incredibly important and valid and some that I think I just fundamentally disagree with. Like that's, I think, like sort of the roots of call-out culture, which I've talked about many times that Mm -hmm. I'm sort of not on board with. But because I'm just so much more aware of those things, what would end up happening is that that though that was the audience I had in mind when we were doing the episodes. It's like who, what might we be called out on? What and and for good and for you know for good reasons. Like what do I want to? How do I want to be less oppressive in how I talk about something? But also in like a little bit of a surveillancey, policey way. Like who do I not want to piss off? Even if like I think that their point is actually not rooted in liberatory politics. And so because I was very aware of that, and because you aren't in those spaces and weren't really actively thinking about those those audiences, we would sometimes have different perspectives on how we wanted to frame something or talk about something or what we did or didn't want to edit out of an episode, for example. Yeah, it was we ended up having a really good this is why communication is really important, everybody, uh-huh. if you would just uh-huh. talk to each other. Once we started talking about kind of like why we're getting into TIFFs and you had said that about we we realized that like our perceived audiences while we were while we were recording were, had changed. So when we first started, they were very similar. But as Rachel has gone, well, have you, as you've gotten to be more of a non-academic person and you're doing more of your own memoir writing and you need, you know, you have to have like a public persona, image yeah, like a public image, a persona, yeah. and you're in, in all those worlds because it's really great for marketing purposes. I'm nowhere in that world, you know, and I'm still back with my students when we were talking during the podcast, we were thinking about different people in our heads, right? So I was thinking about what happens if my students listen to this. And then Rachel, you were thinking more of like, okay, what if these feminists and social justice people that I interact with online listen to this, mm-hmm. right? 
And it might not seem to outsiders that like that would be such a big deal, but it ended up being a really big deal because I was like, why are you why do you care so much about what I'm saying? Like this is I'm saying it. But I also wasn't aware that like there's this aware I'm aware, but I don't in- engage in the social media world that they don't care who says it. It's our brand. It's our FKJ brand. And whoever says it on the podcast, it's it's still the podcast mm-hmm. um, values and arguments. Is that a, a fair way to? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And just I just sort of want to reemphasize that, like, I don't feel like I ever was trying to, like, compromise my actual beliefs to, like, please people or because oh, I no. felt policed. No. But it if did... not, you, like, were more... You got more radical as we went on. Sure, yeah, absolutely. With what you're saying, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I just want to make make that clear. Like I was trying to cater to an audience, but I did it. I tried to do it in a way that wasn't compromising what what I believed, but it also meant that what I was saying on air to you, or when I would be like, "Hang on, Mel, can we edit that?" Whatever I would do, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have necessarily said in a conversation with you. Does that make sense? So like I probably oh, yeah. yeah so that so it was just like about the publicness of it that yeah I became like kind of hyper aware of and I guess that's one of the last things I'll say about negatives is that like given and so many feminists online talk about this because feminists have been trolled forever but it's not even just trolling we actually didn't get really the kind of trolls that um, a lot of feminist spaces get in terms of like men like I think we got like one like fat ugly rape kind of comment on a picture of us like once ever, but we would get, uh, you know, sort of feminists threatening to sort of cancel us, not nearly as much as other feminist spaces online do. But um, there's a lot of sort of feminist infighting and policing on, on online feminist culture. And that gave me a lot of anxiety. And I'm not the only feminist online who feels that way. I've talked about uh, La Crista Greco, who runs Guerrilla Feminism a lot. And she talks about this all the time, because she gets tons of trolling about tons of, I would say, sort of feminist surveillance in some ways that are very fucking important sort of in terms of accountability but mostly it doesn't show up as accountability practices it shows up as call outs so and i'm like not into that anyways like feminists fighting even though we fight with other like turfs right which (laughs) is a fair fight right a worthy fight but you know some of these you know what i would call what i would say hair splitting Mm -hmm. sometimes is just like okay like we're all we're in this together so yeah but i wasn't aware of that and i also had a lot i had a lot of anxiety but i just didn't try to let it bother me about like a white dude's gonna find us someday like we would talk about my address because i would put my my home address on and i i felt a twinge of anxiety every time i did that because i'm like if they if if we get the right white supremacist to find our show yeah like it's over yeah um and so that was more of the anxiety that i was living with and also with my students like if okay if i get the right student listening to my show and they feel offended by what i'm saying I'm like, I got to go through that, yep, you know? Totally. And so I would actually be very careful. I don't think I, I definitely shared my opinions, but I don't share. I'm not as, <laughs> I laugh before I say this. I'm actually not as blunt as I would be right. IRL. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do keep some stuff because cause that, that was the audience that I was thinking of. Yeah, So totally, totally. And even, the, and so with those two different audiences, like things, we actually got into some pretty like, some discussions where it's like we don't actually have a solution because yeah. neither of us were wanting to waver, which is great. I think that's good. And so it just it got us to this point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yikes, that was a lot of bummer talk. Um, guess what? We still love you all and loved the show so much. So what did we 
love so much about it? And what are we going to miss? Well, the number one is like, I will miss talking to you every week because yeah. that was really fun to to know like if something happened in the world, it's like, okay, well, at least I get to process this with Rachel totally. on the show. And we, guess what? We could still like have coffee and talk about things. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> it was just one of those things yeah, where, of course, as you get busier, it's like a forced Completely. It was. You know? It was wonderful for that. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I'm going to miss that a ton. Definitely going to miss, I mean, engaging with our audience members. I know we just said that that was maybe hit and miss, but again, the people who did engage, like, we'll still be in. Maybe this is a good moment to say, like, the, we're going to keep the Facebook group page up. We won't be, there There have been very few and far between sort of debates that needed moderating, but, and we would step in when that happened. We will probably not be as connected if those kinds of things break out, but mostly it's people who are sharing resources and having very peaceful, you know, good communication. So I'm not particularly mm-hmm. worried about it, but that'll still be around. But, you know, people would post about the episodes on that group page. And like, so I'll miss I'll miss people's comments about the shows. And yeah, just and th- thankfully, again, a lot of the listeners have become actual friends. And I don't even want to rattle off the list because there's like a lot of you and you know who you are. And I'm just super grateful. Like, I know you're not going anywhere. So I'm glad to still be friends with the people I've made friends with. But yeah, I'm going to miss I'm going to miss the listeners so, a lot. I mean, even just knowing that they were out there was like, oh, our community. So I'll miss that. Yeah. And I learned a lot from both our community and also the guests that we had on our show. Uh, it was really nice to d- dive deeper into specific topics, and I ended up learning a lot. So totally, it was a way to like kind of keep. I don't know. It's hard when you're working like to stay. It seems silly, but to stay on top of current events and social issues, and so it it forced us to like kind of stay relevant in our own industry. So that was that was great. Totally, and I and I really loved like. You know, I thought sometimes, you know, one of the things we kind of strategized about in terms of growing the show was maybe thinking bigger about bigger name guests. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we even said that on when we were on 50 Feminist States, a really great podcast um, that we were on mm-hmm. that a uh, friend of the show, Amelia, runs. And I think that we I might have even said out loud, like, maybe we'll, you know, she asked about goals. And it was like, well, if we get bigger names, like, that would be super fun. Like, my sort of dream guest, of course, as maybe no surprise for people would be like Adrian Marie Brown or Angela Davis or something. And like, Mm -hmm. that's like obviously dreaming incredibly big, particularly for Angela Davis. But we could have tried that. But I think something that I actually liked that we didn't end up really going that route is how many rad people who are doing smaller scale, incredible community and activist and social justice Mm -hmm. work. We got to sort of amplify their voices and also scholars who are doing research who maybe they're not like celebrity academics but they're doing like really cool thinking and I'm like I mean especially because in the beginning we were just like interviewing our friends and like we are lucky to have like really fucking smart awesome friends who do cool shit and then we started sort of branching out and and, you know getting guests that we didn't know in person but on a similar sort of scale like you're not like world famous you know you being on the show isn't gonna like get us 7,000 new listeners but we really appreciate what you're doing and we want to amplify your voice and we also want to pay you for your, an hour of your time. So like, mm-hmm. and I feel, I feel really good about that and I'm grateful that we got to do that. Yeah. And I will also say that it was really nice to, through our Patreon donations to be able to support other podcasters yeah. and be able to give people some money because it was like us trying to fix a wrong that we have 
lived within for so long mm-hmm. that we wanted to pay people, which is actually, if if anybody has a journalism background, I mean, in the journalism world, you don't pay people right. for their, you know, but within this world, it was like, you know what, fuck it, like, people deserve yep. to get paid for yeah. their labor, especially talking about sometimes traumatic things, difficult yeah. things, um, things that they went and got graduate degrees over, you know. Yeah. Paying people for their time is important, and we wanted to kind of change that status quo of of not getting paid. So that was nice that we had the resources to do that for sure. Yeah, and I know there I know there's good arguments about like not paying people in journalistic contexts, but yeah, I do think this is a slightly different enough um, situation that we just felt really good about being it, especially people who we knew didn't have salaries. Like when you're so many of us are working by the hour, like every hour could be an opportunity to make money if you're a freelancer in any way. And so it just, yeah, just felt nice. So yeah, that was really great. Um, yeah. And I just feel like a lot of those, in addition to sort of like friendships, like also just like good networking and not in like a slimy way, but in a way of like, I know this person can do, you know, this is not a great example because my partner knew about Queer Appalachia before we did the show. Obviously, Queer Appalachia is kind of counterexample to what we just said. They're they're very popular um, and a lot of people know them certainly before our show. But for example, like we interviewed Mamone from Queer Appalachia, one of my favorite episodes, and my partner just finished a report on rural LGBT people in rural America for his, for his organization, um, the Movement Advancement Project. And it was a huge report, really so much information that had never been studied or discussed before. And Logan reached out to Mamone. So again, that's kind of a bad example because Logan could have done that without me. But those kinds of things, it's like, in theory, let's say Logan didn't know Mamone and I could have been, you know, and I could have said like, oh, I, I'm connected to Mamone. Like, let me give you their contact information. And like, this will be a very valuable source for you. Things like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I fucking loved all that um also obviously i loved learning audio editing it was literally like so cool so cool i mean i was gonna start with saying not exactly blood sweat and tears but sweat and tears like it in the beginning (laughs) like not nearly as easy as it should be i mean it actually could be easy but we just because we didn't have our amazing podcasting 101 course for ourselves um, it felt so overwhelming in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then, and then all of a sudden it was like this amazing skill that I had that felt like easy as pie, mm-hmm. which was so fucking such a good feeling. Yeah. And it feels really empowering now to talk to my students and be like, oh yeah, I can just teach you how to do audio editing real quick. And they're like, what? Yeah. Like, how do you know how to do this? Totally. And I'm as a aside, but to the point, I am giving a talk in Appleton, Wisconsin, in a couple weeks, and it's part of a co- it's part of an environmental justice course, and the students are making podcasts, and so Fun. I'm going to be their one yeah, so I'm going to be their one guest that like both can talk about the topic and also podcasting. I love that. So yeah, so it's like this amazing skill that I just get to share with other people, and it makes me feel like good about myself because I have this. Uh, skill and being a woman and having the skill in a more of a techie world makes me feel really good too because yeah. you know the podcasting world's full of a lot of white guys yeah and <laughs> it's insufferable sometimes and yeah. so it's just nice to be able to also know how to do all that stuff so yeah the audio editing is like 
a skill that I'm like beyond grateful for that I would have never gotten had I not had we not done this podcast. Totally. I can't I can't say enough how grateful I am to have that have that now. Similarly, another skill um, or set of skills was, I mean, really, even though it didn't pan out sort of on the income level of a small business, it it was a small business for us. I mean, we had to figure out branding, mm-hmm. marketing, all the things that come along. We, we never ended up setting up our own sort of tax ID, but that was something that came up once we started getting, like we had, we had one sponsor our entire history, um, mm-hmm. which was PNCA. Shout out Shauna Lipton, who mm-hmm. is wonderful. Um, and we would promote their MA program, which we really believed in. And they were mm-hmm. super kind um, to have approached us about that. Uh, and it just made made so much sense, like that that audience and that that connection made sense. So we would get a check from a college, um, and sort of one of us would have to sort of cash that and count it, and it became a tax thing. So we never ended up going that route because we only ended up having that one advertiser. But if we would have mm-hmm. done more of that, we would have we would have set up a tax ID or whatever. So mm-hmm. you know things like that. But yeah, the marketing and branding was you know I would I started listening to it lot of, and this was partly because I started freelancing and sort of rebranding my individual identity as from an academic to more of like a writer. But I would listen to just tons of podcasts about like small business, like, and some of it is just so disgusting and gross, but I would like move through the weeds to get to the stuff that was valuable for us. And I just like learned a lot about Mm -hmm. that. And also Mm -hmm. related to that, we also learned about copyright. So we were using copyrighted music for a very long time. Whoops. Yep. And then, but then oh, you knew. we knew, <laughs> we, we, knew we did, time. we knew. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then, but then we, hi- we got to, this is another thing we got to sort of distribute, redistribute the mm-hmm. small amount of sort of income we, we gained is we got to hire a rad feminist lady musician, Emily Jane Powers, to create our music. We also hired a feminist lady branding um, expert, a person, mm-hmm. a former roommate of mine from Chicago, Lindsay, did all the, you know, helped us with the branding. That was really fun. We did like a Pinterest board of like themes and colors, and that was so fun. Um, so we really learned a lot about that kind of world too. And even though as anti-capitalist, sort of any sort of like business marketing feels icky, it was really cool to do it in the service of something that was not icky. <laughs> that was, I thought that was, Indeed. I thought that was helpful. I think it's not bad to know how to do that kind of stuff. We also got emails from people who like, we helped them change their path in their like college studies. They would like shift to you know, thinking about doing a project that was more focused on like feminism. We have given advice to people on sort of graduate school applications. People have told us that, you know, they've, they learned more from our show than they did in their entire four years of college. And like, that doesn't make my heart super happy knowing how much debt people go and do for that. But it does make me happy that we could offer what the main goal of this show was, which was to bring feminist theory and academic knowledge and make it accessible for wide audiences. And that makes all these three years completely worth it to me. Uh, I 100% agree. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I would say like when you sit back and think about the impact that we've had on people, it's very humbling. Completely. Completely. This is sort of a side note. It's a little bit tangent, like tangential, but there's a lot of, there are at this point, a lot of feminist podcasts out there and some Mm -hmm. that like Season of the Bitch is one that I'll bring up that is kind of, I think, doing similar work from an an even more sort of explicitly uh, socialist feminist perspective. A lot of the hosts of the show are DSA members. And so it's, they have really good interviews, incredible historical analysis, like really, it's just like very, it's sort of, it, some, you know, it's kind of like a, 
comparable to, I talk about revolutionary left radio a lot and it feels kind of like there's, it's kind of like a, I don't want to say it's a feminist version of that, but it's like all lady hosted and it's, it's very good, but they, their, their deal is, is that there's like six or seven different hosts and like they all call in and this is not slamming. I don't think anybody in season of the beat listens to us, but this is not a slam on them at all, but I'm just saying a difference is that um, you don't really get to know the hosts is my point. Like, because they wrote, mm-hmm. they rotate and like, there's like five people talking and you sort of can't tell who's who. Um, mm-hmm. And so something that I liked about us is that we sort of tried to bring that, but we also like, like one of our comments on iTunes that I really loved a lot was that um, something like they really enjoyed seeing our friendship and that every melody needs a Rachel and every Rachel needs a melody. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, so like I liked that. Yes, we were trying to like bring education to the masses, but we also like we've talked a lot about like lady friendship and like friendship and just so it also just feels cool that people like know us and know our personalities and know like our friendship dynamic and that also feels like special and kind of sacred to be able to share that with people. And it seems like uh, people need to hear more of it because I remember people would make remarks even if I was just supporting you in whatever you were doing. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, uh, you're gonna do really good at that. I'm so proud of you. Mm-hmm. And then people be like, it is so refreshing to hear too. <laughs> Femme, women, <laughs> right. support each other. I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. wow. Right. It's a sad state of affairs. Yeah. If, you know, not. So, yeah. I'm and glad sh- we could bring that. I didn't realize that we needed that it was so dire. But I guess it's true if you look, especially if you look at media and like how podcasting works and just the messages in our media system. Yeah, totally. And oh. definitely, obviously, shout out to Call Your Girlfriend, which was an influence of our yes, show for sure. 100%. And they are def I mean, they describe themselves as long distance besties. Um, and so they obviously do that. And they call- they actually have a name for this sort of phenomenon of women supporting other women, which is shine theory. Like we were not the first podcast in the world to do that, obviously. But um, I I mean, I think about that when I listen to Call Your Girlfriend versus uh, and even though I have problems with that show politically, like I sometimes would rather listen to Anna and Amina talk about something liberal than some of these like other podcasts where I don't know the hosts very well talk about something that I actually agree with more politically because it's just fun to hear people who like really like each other talk. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, gosh, I don't know. I think those are the, the, the biggest things. I mean, I'm just, it's going to feel weird. Like this was part of my identity. Like I was a podcaster, you know, and you know, I'm sure we'll continue to do audio projects in some capacities um, here and there. But this is it's going to feel weird to no longer be co-producer, co-host of FKJ PhD. A little bit of an identity yeah, loss. Well, I didn't think about it that way yet. But at the same time, I feel like being a former podcaster, too, is also pretty true. Cool. True. It's you like know? you always if you're president, you always get to be called president even after you're not president. so Which like, is unfortunate for some of them. <laughs> yes. Um, most of them. Most of them. Uh, but maybe we can just borrow that. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. And I think it's like really impressive, like when people ask us like how long we've been doing it, three years, you know, over 100 episodes, mm-hmm. like people are, it's very impressive, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think one thing that Rachel and I had talked about was that la- it was like almost a year ago now that I was having a very hard time in my personal and my work life. And I was very distant from the show. And it was a, a time in which we could have ended, but neither of us wanted to end it at that time, even though we didn't say that to each other. Like we 
for, you know, I got my shit back together. Rachel did not ditch me. And because we knew that it wasn't done yet. Yeah. But then once this next year came around and, you know, the issues that we talked about today, it got to the point where it's like, okay, if it ended today, would it be horrible? And we could finally say no. Right. And we did not, we could not say no a year ago. Totally. You know, like we feel like obviously feminism and social justice, it's a, a lifelong topic, but that we've covered so much that we do feel like it's a really good package and that we're completing it. We're not just walking away from it. We're intentional, intentionally decoupling <laughs> and that and that feels good for us because yeah. we didn't want to end it before we wanted to. And so just so everybody knows, like we also feel it like felt like a good time. Mm-hmm. And I guess it makes me it reminds me of the Many Moons project and how she had decided yeah. like she was only going to do five years and then move on. And people were like, what? No, no. But we get it, you know, as yeah. producers of media, like it's it's good to intentionally end something um, before it gets the best of you. Totally. Or like, I mean, a comparison to like TV shows, you know, they talk, there's this term jump the shark. Like if you go too oh, long, you like, don't want to jump, you don't yep. want to jump the shark. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I it's feel real bad. Yeah. And yeah, it was, I mean, I talk about like my gut and intuition and stuff a lot. And it, it that's really what it was like last summer was not my body was like, please don't let this be the end. And this year, this spring, it was like, I think, I think it's ready. I think it's ready to be the end. Mm -hmm. And so that, so yeah, it feels, it feels sad, but it feels right. And so I hope y'all can sort of just also, also feel like that with us. Yeah. I mean, I think that's sort of a, yeah, no, please more. (laughs) Just a, no, no, no. This was just more of a announcement-y thing about our archive. Yes. For the episodes that we have enough funds to definitely host the website and, and our SoundCloud host, which pushes the, the episodes to you. So we're going to definitely have it up for a year. We have enough money for that. Um, but we would encourage you, if you do like any of the specific episodes, that they're all downloadable via SoundCloud. And it should work on iTunes, but I, I don't know. But we do have them set to download, so you can save them that way. Uh, so they it'll probably disappear within a year from the internet. Um, but always, you know, I have a lot of them. I have a lot of the files saved. Mm-hmm. So if there's, you know, if you ever need something for research purposes or, you know, whatnot, please let us know. Uh, mm-hmm. But it probably would be best on your end to save some of the files, sa- save some of the episodes that you really like because they will leave the internet at some point. Yeah. Okay, good. So we're in the announcement section. So that's in the announcement. We already talked about how the Facebook group will stay up. We just won't be like heavily moderating. Patreon, we will shut down this month. Yep. So nobody yep. will be charged after April. We are we already invited you to sort of cancel um, a couple weeks ago. So if you haven't done that, mm-hmm. uh, you won't be charged after April because we won't. Mm-hmm. Th- it won't be up anymore. We've been paying other patrons through our Patreon, but I'll, I'm sure I'll set up something up so that I can support those folks individually. So hopefully, the people we w- we support, you'll still get money it just won't be through fkj is is sort of another note on that what else and then oh another announcement uh is that so i'll send out a final newsletter Mm, um as as the fkj podcast the killjoy review this friday or next depending on when we get the episode out and i do plan i've really enjoyed doing the newsletter it feels i've been blogging since fucking forever and the newsletter just feels sort of like you know carrying on with that and so i I, I really like doing the newsletter. So I think I'm probably going to do the newsletter as I, I am. I'm planning on doing, um, you know, a newsletter for, for me, my my personal, I guess, brand as, as, you know, a writer and 
all the other things that I do. Um, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll keep people on the list. I, I went back and forth about this and Melody actually helps, helps me decide that um, I'll send y'all my sort of newsletter if you're on the FKJ list, and then I'll give you the option in that newsletter to unsubscribe. So if, if that no longer feels um, like something, if you don't want to hear from me anymore outside of FKJ, then you can unsubscribe. But obviously, it'll still be me. It'll be very similar. Um, it's just, it'll it'll have a little bit of a rebranding because it won't be um, highlighting the show. So, so that's just a note on the newsletter. And then, yeah, SoundCloud will be up for about a year, I think. Oh, and then the Instagram page, I'll just stop updating it. I mean, we'll have the update about the last show. And then that'll be that'll be probably it for the Instagram page. Same with Twitter, I assume. Mel? Yes. We haven't talked about this, yeah. as you can see, because we're like... We're figuring it out um, on air. I mean, I'll say this. Like, I ended my blog, Rebel Girl Living, was my vegan food blog for a long time. And like, once in a blue moon, I'll post to those social media sites, because mm-hmm. I think it feels relevant to the audience. Like, mm-hmm. when, I, when we started our podcast, I was like, hey, if you like me, you might like my new podcast. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. So, so we're like not that. going to... Yeah, we'll stay connected on social. It's no big deal to keep these things up and then it's a way for you all to reach out to us as well so i don't want this to be the end of us talking with you all like we have a community here we all have similar interests and specific social justice things and feminism and marxism and all that so like we'll still be talking to you all probably not as frequently and not as professional i don't want to say that podcasty yeah you know yeah but totally well we're here for you totally as you're here for us yeah All right. We said what didn't work. We said what we loved. We made some announcements. Should we do our last reading, Reading, watching, and living? Okay. Oh, no. We used to be so good at it every time. We were going to try to harmonize. Okay. We never practiced. We didn't. But let's try. Okay. Okay. Reading. No, I'm going to, we're just going to sing right at the end. I'll harmonize. Okay. I can't harmonize the whole thing. I'm not that talented. Okay. Reading, Reading, watching, watching and listening listening with Rachel and Melody. (laughs) What are you RWLing? I am reading a graphic novel that I found at the library in the teen section called Escape from Syria, because I want to know a little bit more about Mm -hmm. that. Um, And so that's by Samay Kulab. I probably butcher that because I'm a white American woman. And Jackie Roche, R-O-C-H-E. And I should spell the the other author's name is Samia K-U-L-L-A-B. Cool. So in, into that. Great. Um, my students are writing or they turned in their representational analysis papers. So that means I get to watch all these cool music videos. Fun. So my favorite one of the week was Tribe Called Quest's video called The Space Program. Mm-hmm. It's a newer, it's from their last album. And it's, they have this statement about how like, if there's a space program, like black people aren't coming with. Mm-hmm. So Okay, cool. Love Tribe. Yep. And... I thought this would be a funny, uh, ironic or something, uh, hypocritical maybe podcast that I've been listening to called Conan Needs a Friend. I I absolutely love Conan Uh O'Brien. He's a source of uh, humor and comedy inspiration for me. Mm -hmm. And so he has a podcast where he just talks to people that want that he wants to be friends with. But the other week he was with Michelle Obama in Milwaukee. And so he interviewed Michelle Obama on the show, and it was really great. In Milwaukee. 
in Milwaukee. That's cool. uh, she was on her book tour and I somehow he ended up talking to the same high school kids that Michelle Obama was. I don't know how he got invited to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they're like buds. Cool. Um Michelle has a weird taste in friends that includes George W. Bush. So yes, that's very weird. Uh, but hey, I like Conan O'Brien and I like how he does his ads on his show. And that's all I'll say. Cool. What about you, Rachel? Um, I don't think I've mentioned any of these on air yet, but forgive me mm-hmm. if I did. I think they're different from mm-hmm. two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, reading Pleasure Activism by Adrienne Marie Brown. It's her... Uh, Technically third book, but second book that she's solo written. I mean, it's a compilation. But anyway, it's fantastic. Um, I really love it. And you just saw her. I just saw right? her speak in Minneapolis, and it was fucking wonderful. And it felt like it was in a church, and it felt like my version of church. And it was just, like, really soul-filling. And um, I just can't say enough good things. And if you, you know... <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I've been gushing about her for literally years on the show now. Um, so if you haven't read Emergent Strategy or this book, um, what even are you doing? So it's it's just fabulous. And it fills my heart and my soul and makes me very happy and gives me a lot of hope for the direction of uh, um, movement building and what social change could look like and all of these things. Um, watching The Americans. And I love it so much. Um, do you know about this show? I don't think so. Oh, my God. Okay. So it's Cold War era uh, show about Mm. Soviet spies living in America undercover. Mm. And so there is just wonderful doses of communism. You see pictures, paintings of Lenin in the Russian consulate, like every episode. Um, And just like really great. The just the way that like Carrie Russell's character, who is the Soviet spy, just mm-hmm. like hates corporate like capitalism and consumerism and just like hates that she has to pretend that she's like an American housewife um well she has a job in the show but anyway mm-hmm. it's just it just tuck you know hits all my buttons um and it's also like incredibly nuanced about like there is extreme massive violence um being committed by the Soviet Union as well as extreme massive violence being committed by the Americans and so it's a nice nuanced take of Soviet era um, U.S., uh, U.S.-Soviet relations, and also, like, a spy thriller. So, like, I just am loving it. And also, there's um, the secretary who sort of becomes um, a double agent, uh, Nina, is such a fox and a communist. And I'm just like, girlfriend, you are my new hashtag goals. So, like... Fun to watch. I thank you so much for that. You don't know this, but one of my students is doing this very interesting project on how we have not about basically the Soviets and our like kind of our narrative about communism Mm -hmm. after the Cold War. So this show is like going to be part of his project, like guaranteed. Perfect. I don't think he even knows about it because he's a history buff. Yeah. But I told him he's got to bring in some media examples so i'm like very excited to oh i'm so glad that, that could watch be that because i don't know much about like what he was saying i was like i'm totally with you i just don't know much about it so i'm excited to i'm gonna watch the show wonderful oh i'm yeah. thank you yeah. and thank you for that that uh suggestion i will send to my student yeah oh i'm so glad it could be helpful good and then i'm listening to um a new band music project not sure what they would call themselves um x colon re so x re uh it's the same singer of the band daughters or daughter daughter i think um 
you probably know the band daughter. If it's not ringing a bell, you would know their music. Um, and it's her, the singer, I think her. And uh, I mean, it's definitely the singer. I think her pronouns are she, her. Um, but, but the, but it's like a little more electronic. Um, so there's a song called Romance and the music video is really great. And it's just like this, it's like kind of like somebody on the YouTube video called it, um, sad dance music or like sad dance goth music or something. (laughs) Um, so it's like a little kind of like industrial and like kind of dreamy and also sad. And so it has like kind of this like pulsing beat going out throughout the whole time. Um, but then like beautiful airy lady vocals over it. Um, it's really good. So So highly recommend is it like Tori Amos meets Tool meets the emo scene? Tori Amos meets Tool meets um, Polisa or The Heart. Ooh. Something more dancey and electronic. Got it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's real good. You are the target demographic. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, I don't know. That me, I, and me too. Yeah, you, I mean, Tori Amos and Tool. I don't know if I would say Tool is... Yeah, that's true. Never mind. But I, again, appreciate them. I actually... In my memoir, there's like a description of one of my first high school boyfriends and he listened to Tool and that was like the most alternative I could get at my school was like kind of the goth kids. So I was like, well, totally, I guess, I guess, I guess you'll do. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. Oh, it's so true. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, Oh, I love how you phrase that. It's so perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. Um, well, holy moly, this is, this feels really, this feels sad, but, um, FKJ. Oh, power. (laughs) Love, love you, Mel. Love you, Rachel. Love you, listeners. Love you, listeners. Love you, everybody's cats and pets that Mm -hmm, you have mm -hmm. while listening. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Good night, Moon. Oh. (laughs) And click and click. That was great. I feel this is going to be good. I feel good about it.